Today's daf is Ayin Aleph 71. We pick up about uh, six lines before the end on Ayin Amud Bet. And the word, Nishtatek Vamalonichtov Get Liishtacha. So first we had a fascinating discussion about delivering the get when the, when the husband was not in his right mind. Um, because even though the question is, can you represent the husband? He doesn't have to be conscious at the moment. He could be asleep. But you have to represent, can you, you cannot represent him as a Shaliyah if he is not of um, considered to be begavra of sound mind um, and the question is what if it's a state that can be corrected and so on so that was a really interesting and relevant question now um, the question is is that okay he, if he's uh, something happened and he can't speak um, he doesn't have to give a verbal direction you can ask him and he can nod and if it seems clear that he's able to respond meaningfully um, and you ask him yes and no questions and he answers correctly then you can follow his instructions based on his nod and indication. So that's the case in the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, So you ask him, like, yes questions and no questions, and it, and, uh, and, and it asks him correctly, it's good. So the Maybe he just got uh, seized by like a, uh, a a fit of nodding his head or shaking his head, and therefore, if you ask him all yes questions, and, well, that's the obvious answer, and he just keeps on going like this, it doesn't prove anything. It's like, you know, the old joke, the guy brings his dog into the bar and says, look, I could talk, teach my dog how to talk. He says, hey, what's on top of a, what's on top of a building? Roof. See, he said a roof. <laughs> what's the other opposite of smooth? See, he said rough. But anyway, who's the world's greatest baseball player? He said rough. See, he said Babe Ruth. So the guy's like, you guys are crazy. He throws him out of the bar. The dog looks at his master and says, maybe I should have said DiMaggio? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. So anyway, maybe he just started with his fit of nodding his head and it happened to be right. So the Gemara says, um, I'm really not safe. So I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm of Nachman. So we ask him, we alternate between yes and no questions. I mean, that's not how Rashi reads it, but that's how I'm going to read it. We alternate, well, I don't know, well, you can look at Rashi. He alternates between yes and no questions. So the Gemara says, Rashi says you read it after like waiting a while. You wait an hour between the questions. That's what Rashi says. But I think it's, I think it's more meaningful that the Gemara says, let's a- alternate. So the Gemara says, Okay, but maybe he's got this fit of, you know, of alternating between shaking his head and nodding his head. So the Gemara says, so we say like first ask him one no question and then two yes questions and then two no questions and then one yes uh, whatever whatever it is and one yes so we oh, we mix it up we don't do a predictable order okay the very now this this seems to be a new point like the way we ask him questions you ask him things relating to the summer and the winter and in the winter and the summer so the Gemara says Maini, what is that if it's like a win- uh, uh, you know a winter coat and a summer coat like you say do you want a winter coat and you know do you want a summer coat and it's the wrong season maybe it's uh, you know maybe it's the summer but he's cold or maybe Maybe it's the winter, but he's hot. That doesn't prove anything. Ellen Bepevi, you ask him about fruit. Do you want summer fruit or winter fruit? Now, Tosa says, first of all, you know, but I don't know, Tosa says sometimes you can preserve winter fruit in, in the summer. Nowadays, like, it's crazy that we can get fruit out of season. So Tosa says, like, no. So what you say to him is, like, should we go to the orchards and pick, pick you some apples? And you say that to him in the middle of the winter or something like that. All right. Anyway, moving on. No one's writing, because, like, otherwise... Right. A lot of people were not literate. I mean, we're not literate and we're not able to 
write. So yeah, I mean, if he could write, sure. Yeah, totally. If he could write, of course. Okay, Amarav Kanamarav. Now, speaking about writing, now we're going to have a very important chiddush, um, both in terms of like a formal way of defining things, and also in terms of a very practical application for uh, for for, deaf, for how deaf people are categorized in halacha. So if somebody who's deaf but he can speak through writing now what do you mean deaf but can speak deaf is only deaf but the point is that the standard in the Gemara means a deaf mute somebody who's both deaf and can't speak now that does not what, what again I think I've shared this with you before when I you know when I was young and learned the Gemara I said okay how many deaf people are both deaf and mute but the point is the Gemara presumed that was, and so the Gemara most deaf people who were born deaf were treated as mute because they could not speak intelligibly so it doesn't mean that no, 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 I mean, you know, it came out in an unintelligible way which meant that people who were born deaf wound up being defined as not B'nai Das as not a Bar Das as people that had no agency no responsibility you know, no ability to act in a halachic capacity because they were not able to they were treated as deaf mute because they could not speak intelligibly so if you have a person like that but let's say he can speak not by saying things but by writing things is that considered to be that he is actually able to speak and if he's able to speak he's not a deaf mute and he's actually a bardas he actually has halachic status you know he's an adult in halacha and he can marry, do, a marry do mitzvot do all the types of acts that adults can do okay right. so that's it. now you could explain that in one of two ways you could either say that in a formalistic way writing you know writing is considered an act of speaking and that's the language that Rav Kanamarav uses can speak through writing so let's just say he's not mute he speaks he speaks through writing which is going to be obviously very relevant when deaf people learn sign language right and does that become a form of they're, no long, they're able to speak or you could just say no the question with the deaf person is is that we think he doesn't have DAS and here we're, we clearly have an indicator that he clearly does have DAS so that redefines him okay but it seems some well there was, the difference would be well we'll see the difference would be that if you need to satisfy a formal definition and it's not enough to test for DAS then you could say that it's a very rigid formal definition okay um, so that anyway but it sounds like we're saying that this qualifies as, as an act of speaking so you can write it get to his wife even a woman that he married when he was not a cheresh right if he would marry this woman only as a cheresh it's not kiddush and doraisa so the Gemara says before and he'll say again right the same way he married a woman through just signaling um, and with that you know when it was only a rabbinic marriage he can divorce her in the same way but here we're assuming he married her when he was a pikeach and then he became deaf mute after okay so therefore he's Doraita married to this woman nevertheless says Rakhan Ramarav if he can speak through writing he's considered a bardath and he can divorce this woman and we can write again for his wife so Amar of Yosef well he could true okay I mean we're not assuming he can't because he's a cheresh whereas most people weren't writing the gets themselves right. okay anyway Amar Rav Yosef now Rav Yosef takes it as like oh this is obvious okay Tanina we turn to Brisa Nishtatek if somebody is silenced Ramulo Nichtov Get Leishtacha Yerchin Barosho and we said say said to write again and he nodded his head Botino Soshloshabami I check him three times Imama Lav Lav Alhenein he says yes correctly and no correctly they can write it and give it so obviously you don't need to have a verbal you know um, um, instruction now the point is that this is a much bigger chiddush than that he says Amalei Rav 
One minute. The Mishnah is talking about just a guy that's mute, that can't speak. Shani Elam Ditanya. Elam is different. Elam, of course, is a Bardas. There, the only question was did it constitute legitimate instruction, you know, from the husband? Because Elam Ditanya, we talk in the Brisa, somebody who can speak and not hear, Zel Cheresh. That's termed as a Cheresh. Shomea, but not the standard Cheresh. Standard Cheresh can't do either. Shomea, somebody can hear and not speak, that's considered mute. And somebody who's only just deaf or just mute is considered fully to be of right mind and of, uh, you know, capacity and so on. Really okay, the, now, what? You really could have taken the cuff. Yeah. With the cuff? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, that's true. Anyway, how do you know that those are the terms that we use for them? So funny, like, he doesn't ask that about any other term that's used and whatever, but fine. To see, it says, I like was a mute person I was, did, that did not hear, that person did not hear. And like a mute person who did not open his mouth. Or if you want, like people say, so as a sort of Roshay Tevos of his words have been taken away. Anyway, so the Gemara basically says, of course it's a Chiddush, right? All the mission teaches you is somebody who's a bar das who can't speak, does not need to give verbal instruction to write a get. If you, if you can test that he is, a, is able to signal properly, then it does not have to be verbal instruction. The Chiddush of Rav Kahana Marav is somebody that normally we categorize as an anal bardas, as a cheresh, and somebody who normally we say does not have the intellectual capacity, cannot be obligated in mitzvot, and so on, cannot do halachic transactions, that person who's able to write, that's considered that he's no longer a cheresh. That's a huge Chiddush. Okay? Now, the point is, I'm just not to ruin the end result, but I want to say, if the Gemara were to end here, there never would have been a halachic question about um, youth people who are able to communicate by sign language, right? Because, I mean, you know, because it's Yochladaber, Yochladaber mitoch hands, Yochladaber mitoch hexav. Certainly, if they were able to write, right, end of story, they're no longer a cheresh. But, uh, but just to warn you, the Gemara is not going to, is not going to end like this, okay? That's the Chiddush of Rav Khan Amarav, but we're not going to be left with that at the end, okay? So that is a very big Chiddush. So now the Gemara says like this, Amar Zera says Rav Zera, Ikashuli Hakashuli, if I have a question, here's my question. The Tanya, we turn to the Brisa. So this is a point that if somebody is called to testify and you say to him, you have testimony to bring to me on court, and he says, no, I don't, and you say, swear to me that you don't have testimony that you can bring to support my case, and he takes an oath and he's lying, then if he lo yagid, if he does not give his testimony, he bears his bird, he sin, and if he has to basically bring a korban, a special korban, okay, through, uh, uh, for, for the false oath. So here, we're saying, so from here we can also learn some of the laws that relate to Aegis, because it speaks about what it would mean for that person to testify. It's a falsehood of omission. Right, but he took an oath. He right. falsely, he, he, right. he, he omitted the Aegis, but he was commission of falsely swearing. Okay, in lo yagid, if he does not t- give his testimony, so if somebody is mute and cannot speak, I, I don't know exactly how he takes an oath. That's interesting. Can you take an oath without verbally 
enunciating. Anyway, but anyway, then he does not have to, then he is exempt, then he is exempt from the Korban Shvua. And similarly, presumably, he can't, I mean, the more basic, the first basic point is, he can't testify. Because testimony has to be verbal. That's the point of this. What we learn out from this Pasuk. I mean, it doesn't say in the Pasuk, but Yagi, to relate, where we, Chazal understand me, to relate verbally. Amai, now according to you, Rav Kanamarav, that writing is a form of speaking, right? That's basically what they're saying. Writing is a form of speaking. So why is this person excluded from testifying? And now, by the way, Michael, you see the answer to your other question, why it matters to say that this is, they're not just saying a test for intellect. They're saying halachically, writing is defined as speaking. Well, if that's true, or, then... Or for, you know, okay, but if you basically start by a definitional point, writing is a form of speaking, speaking through writing, then that could be applied to a wide range of halachot. So the Gemara says, if that's true, why can't that be a, why can't you testify through writing? So the Gemara says, What? You're talking about testimony? Like Michael said. Eidos is a special higher requirement. It says, It has to be through their mouth and not through their writing. And therefore, even if in general that's considered speaking, it's not considered verbal speaking. It's not considered EPM. So if the Torah says, then it has to be verbal speech. But otherwise, writing would be a form of talking or speaking, and it would work for Cheresh and maybe work for other halachot as well. According to that, Lahagid could be Lahagid could, but we also had a passage that said Mi Pi, and that was, and that excluded this case. Okay, so now we're still working that writing is a form of speaking. By the way, parenthetically, Tosos and other Gemarot discuss a very interesting question about whether you can take a, um, what's it called, a, a deposition, right? Whether somebody who cannot come up, come to court to testify, whether they can give their testimony through writing, or actually what Tosos speaks about is not that some lawyers come and uh, sit down and he gives his testimony to them, but he basically, like, writes a letter and sends in his testimony to court. Um, and that seems to be a problem about me, P.M. below me, P.K.S.A.V.A.M., right? It certainly does seem to be that problem, but Tosos has an interesting discussion of ways to limit this restriction to allow for that case to take place. Because you can obviously imagine the difficulty, right, about bringing it, you know, getting people to comment to travel and so on. On the other hand, if you can't cross-examine the witness, you know, it also has other problems. But anyway, but I just wanted to mention that that was a practical issue that Tosos and the Rishonim discussed. Yes. Even, you know, they can physically enunciate words. If they're talking in a language you don't understand, they right. wouldn't be allowed. So that's so an excellent point as well. It has to be right, be fair below me right? And you know, based in had a no shivim lashon, so they because you can't get somebody to stand between the the uh, person testifying and hearing, because you know, inf- uh, critical information could be lost. Yeah. Anyway, I believe Rashi says that the way in which you impose the shivu is again by his just nodding his head. Uh, did I miss that? Oh, you're right. Rashi addressed it. Thank you. Right, right. So that's but that would I guess work as a uh, as a type of a shomer to owner type of a thing. But that's excellent. Point, right. So there you go. Because it might have to be verbal, but you provided the verbal and he nodded, so that was the Kabbalah. Thank you. I missed that Rashi. Okay. So now the Gemara continues. Um, so we're still making that argument that writing is a form of speaking, and with the exception of Eidus, and that would work for Chelesh. Basically, I'll ask you on this. This is the guy who was uh, could no longer speak, thank you, and you test him by asking these questions, and he nods, etc. So the same way this guy, the nodding works, not a cheresh, the nodding of the guy who can't speak, 
forget purposes. Um, you can test him for uh, um, exchanges, meaning buying and selling. Like, you know, some guy's business transactions. Some guy, he wants to engage in business transactions. Something happens, he can't speak. So he can, uh, you know, he can signal. That's fine. And you use that. If you use it as good enough indicator of DAS, Forget you can use it obviously for other things. Okay, ule and for testimony, uli yerushos and for bequests. So ktani mia eduyos. So now we've got a problem, right? You said that edus requires verbal. Here it's clear edus does not require verbal. That's testifying that a woman's husband is dead. There, obviously, we have really lowered the standards. But classic testimony would have to be verbal. But doesn't it also say bequests? Presumably means he's testifying regarding a bequest that somebody made or that somebody died in purpose of that the heirs now can inherit it. So what it means is that he's testifying which of his sons is the firstborn or that a son that people thought was the firstborn wasn't really the firstborn. Okay, so that's, again, not a formal act of edus and that's why that works. But it also says regarding business transactions. My love, Alma, doesn't it mean he can testify about uh, he can testify about other people's business transactions? I don't know if I would say that would be pshat. No, is he day? No, it means he can engage in his own business transactions. Okay. So, anyways, that was a bright day that seems to say you don't need to be verbal speech for ages, and the Gemara says no, you do still need it for ages. Okay, but we're still back to the main chiddush of Rav, of Rav Kana Maraz, that a cheresh who can write is not considered a cheresh. So now the Gemara goes, goes it's a form of speech. Meisvei says, the Gemara will ask you on this, Cheresh, the Cheresh who's the deaf mute, who's not a bardas, halachically, the Chazal did not follow his, you know, signaling through his, like, hand, or his jumping up and down as a way of indicating, or even his writing. Ella, meaning they don't use that as an expression of das, okay, or to redefine him as a bardas. Only when it comes to transactions of chattel, which we have a lower standard, you might remember that we even allowed, like, kids of the age of six or seven to engage in those types of transactions. Not for the purpose of a get. Okay, so if he's right to married, if he's only Durabana married, it's a different story. If he was married as a Cheresh, he could be divorced as a Cheresh. But if he was married as a non-Cheresh, this will not work for Durayta purposes of get. So this is against Rav Ghana Marav. Writing does not constitute an act of speaking. So the Gemara says, ah, isn't this a contradiction? So the Gemara says, Tanayhi, it's a debate of Tanayim. The time we turn to Brisa, I'm going to When is this true that somebody cannot um, write a get for his wife, I mean, you know, signal to have a get for his wife if he was always a cheresh. Yeah. Now, Michael is jumping in and saying, I've been telling you since the beginning of the daf today, that if he married the woman as a cheresh, he can divorce her as a cheresh. So, what's going on here? So, uh, Gemara is going to deal with it. Uh, I'll just tell you the answer. The answer the Gemara is going to do is, there's one way a cheresh who is always a cheresh, who is, who, who is always a cheresh could be married to a woman doraita. Now, a cheresh that you can figure out. Her, her father married her. But how about if the guy's a cheresh? So the answer is, 
Remember Yibam? Yibam. We always get re- we always get revisited with Yibam, okay? So anyway, so it was like when we learned Kudshim, you couldn't get away from Meila. So when you learned Nashim, <laughs> not Meila, excuse me, what was it? Yeah, what was it? I kept them coming back by Kudshim. No, no, it wasn't Meila, it was a Peagle. You couldn't get away with Peagle. Anyway, so with Nashim, you can't get away from Yibam. Anyway, so we're going to see that if his brother died and the act of Yibam is, is created just through the act of sex, even without Das, right? So therefore, a Cheresh who has sex with his sister-in-law after the brother died would be married to her Doraita as Yibum. Okay, so that's what the Gemara is going to say. So the Gemara is going to say, if he was always a Cheresh, his right, then he never was established himself as a Bardas, halachically, his writing will not help. Okay? The Medra Mamurin Becheresh Mekarv was always a Cheresh. Then his ability to write does not redefine him. Okay? Ava Pikeach Vinit somebody who was well, once well, was hearing, and then became deaf. Okay, so it's considered to be that that person, maybe we are more prepared to assume that he could be a Bardas, um, or, you know, he established himself once as that. So in that case, who Kosei Vehein then if he writes that would be sufficient and then other people can sign on to his get so there is a here a distinction that we're more prepared to recategorize somebody who once was a, 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 a you know a non-cheresh somebody who was once hearing as opposed to somebody who always was a cheresh we are not going to recategorize now that's what we're the chachamim don't even make that distinction at all so what we have is we have this great approach of Rav Marav which would have been terrific in terms of I'm serious the halachic history of defining the halachic status of deaf people but the Gemara now has shown a bright that goes against it and now what we're left with is either a complete rejection of Rav Marav that writing never redefines or is it redefines at most only for a person who started life not as a Cheresh that's what's in Lingam okay but if somebody started life as a Cheresh then, then we completely reject that position so now the Gemara says like this Cheresh who is not a Cheresh ostensibly can speak but this is a person who can't speak no either. somehow he was like somehow he also right, can't speak he also can't speak now <coughs> there could have been some illness or something okay one also wonders right let's say this uh, let's say this change happened before he was bar mitzvah or she was bat mitzvah right is it because halachically you had achieved he had achieved the status of a bardaz is it a formal idea so that status is easier to restore as it were or is it just the fact that somehow no because they began life with, that, with those you know capacities, then somehow we assume that they're, I don't know, that they, they have more capacities even when they're less, uh, you know, ev- clearly evident or something. It's not exactly clear why the Gemara assumes that there's, it's easier to redefine somebody who was once a, bar, once, you know, once a pikeach. Yes. You know, and as a matter of the halachic method, so the ancients had no concept, I don't think, of a sign language as a full language with the grammar. Right, that they certainly do not. But right. ksav, so that's the halachic challenge, is that if the Gemara already says that somebody who can write intelligibly where it's c- precise art communication clear indication of intelligence and the Gemara is going to say that that person even so if they were born a Cheresh is not halachically a Bardas right obviously you see that that presents a challenge to redefine even once you have schools for the deaf and sign language and the whole thing right because obviously why must we read it so formalistically because that's what the Gemara because the Gemara saw it says this guy was born a Cheresh right. he's communicating Communicating through writing, and he's still a cheresh. 
right? If somebody's communicating through writing, they're communicating precisely. They are whatever. So yeah, I so you know, so it's interesting because this is exactly where halacha essentially Lemaista, there are many, many posts that say nowadays a cheresh who can communicate through sign language or whatever is not a cheresh. End of story. Okay? And obviously that's a very logical position besides it being sensitive and inclusive. It's a very logical position you would want us to arrive at, right? You know, and uh, there are many posts who can that way. I follow that psaac as well, but I don't, we should just acknowledge that it has to deal with the fact that the Gemara has somebody communicating precisely through writing, right? Which clearly shows intelligence, clearly Really is you know you know precise articulate communication and nevertheless still a cheresh. So you have to deal with this Gemara. All right, so the Gemara says like this. What? Yeah. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but we also say that if there's a lady who got married, you know, she's not through a father, whatever. Like you know, you married a a cheresh, right? Right. Do we make it? I thought like you know more difficult to divorce her because we're worried about that she'll be abused by others. Uh, A little bit. That's true. If if she's a you know, sort of one sided. In other words, okay. Well, we'll yes, it's true. But I don't want to get into that. Okay, but we'll see a little bit. Anyway, fine. So the message is like this. Okay. Kachmos Yerbur Mizeh. Even Yishko says the Gemara. I'm sorry, I skipped a line. Avopiyavin Yisrael is too close to being chosvin. Vacheres may car low. If somebody was always a cheres, he can't divorce his wife. But don't we say Kishem Shekonsha Barumiza Kachmosia Barumiza? The same way he was able to signal and indicate, and we use that as a basis for him to do a kiddushin. So also, if he signals and indicates, we'll write again on his on his behalf. The whole kiddushin was only rabbinic, so the divorce could work as well. So if he was always a cheres, what's the problem? So the Gemara says no. It was a woman he married. Then you're right; he could divorce her. He married her as a cheresh, can divorce her as a cheresh. What are we talking about? Biyavimto that it was his sister-in-law, and therefore, even though he was a cheresh, once he did had an act, and once he had sex with her, that created that created a doraisa marriage. Okay, because the sex that you don't need to be a bardas. Okay, so the Gemara says now. Yevinto Miman, who, you know, who was he, through whom was she his sister-in-law? Meaning, who was his brother? If his brother himself was a Cheresh, so, so if she was married to her brother as a rabbinic marriage, through, because he was a Cheresh, then even though he did Yibum, right, he only did, everything here is all rabbinic. So, he got her, the act of Yibum that now makes him connected to her, all is functioning on a rabbinic foundation. Like, because the whole yeah, initial marriage was rabbinic. What? Allowing you rabbinic Yibum? Well, because, because, because Doraita, by the same virtue, Doraita, she's not his sister-in-law. Right? So, right, Doraita, the, the marriage to the brother wasn't binding, and she's not his sister-in-law. And within the rabbinic sort of construct that it was a marriage, and she is the sister-in-law, then there's Yibum. But the whole thing is basically all rabbinic so he can still divorce her it's fascinating that we would privilege Yibum even in that case over a rabbinic Khalisa right that is you know but very astounding I mean it's an interesting question if we allow a rabbinic Khalisa in that case when she when her the brother was a Piteach we don't allow Khalisa because he's not a Bardas I don't know in that case in that case we might allow I I have to check we might allow if we're going to allow a rabbinic yet we might as well allow a rabbinic Khalisa but I'd have to check Okay, so Ella, 
Um, so Now his brother was a non cheresh to raise married to the brother. Now he has a doraisa obligation of hebum. What? Doraisa she was married to the brother. Okay, the, uh, she was married to the brother doraisa. The brother was a pikeach. Brother died. Now he has sex with her. Doraisa it's yibum. And now doraisa they're married. He can't divorce her. Okay. The if he was a cheresh meikaro, right? If you want, I could say, even in the case of this brother with a cheresh, you're right, it would all be rabbinic in that case. But you know what? The same way we've established that if the brother was a pikeach, it would become a right to marriage through yibum, and he, he could not give a get. So the same would be true if the, so if the brother was a cheresh, we would make a gzera and say, also in that case of yibum, he can't give her, he can't give her a get. So the Gemara says, if that's true, so ishtonami. So if you marry the woman as a cheresh, let's not let her give a get, because he'll come to marry the woman as a pikeach or whatever, or something like that. <coughs> so the Gemara says, no. Yevimta b'yevimta michlefa. It's two cases of a sister-in-law, and he is always a cheresh. Okay? So whether the sister-in-law came to him through his brother was a pikeach, the brother was a cheresh, that you still, in your mind, would categorize that all as a sister-in-law case. It's not referring to the actor himself. So that's a case where we could say you could confuse them. And since one of them, a get doesn't work, it won't work in the other one. But, if we allow him to give a get to his wife, if he married her as a cheresh, that's not going to be confused and say, oh, so now I can give a get to my sister-in-law. Okay, we obviously put wife and sister-in-law in different categories. Okay, so that's the argument. The argument is that obviously as a wife, he married as a cheresh, he can divorce as a cheresh. Sister-in-law, if it came through his brother who was a pikeach, then he cannot divorce her. And maybe even if it came through his brother who was a cheresh, can't divorce her because maybe we'll come to confuse the two cases. But the Gemara is going to challenge that. Umi gazrina and cheresh at pikeach. You know, we're still, we're, we're still digressing from the first basic point of Rav Kahnama Rav. We'll get back to it. Are we really concerned that if we allow su- what, certain cases by a case of sister-in-law of, of Yibum with a cheresh brother-in-law that will lead to cases of a pikeach brother-in-law we're afraid the yibum cases will get confused we taught in the Mishnah if you have two brothers that are both cheresh okay so then it doesn't matter if this is going to be a case of yibum and one of them is going to die so it doesn't matter who the women are that they married the marriages will all be drabanan because both of the most, both of the brothers are cheresh they're married either to two and they're married to two sisters either of these two sisters both are of, 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 of pikeach they're not cheresh or they're both or one of each okay doesn't matter in all those cases it's only kiddushi derabana now if it were kiddushi deoraita okay two brothers married to two sisters and one brother died what would the halacha be? And they both no, normal case. Two, uh, everybody is. Full, you can't because you may, you so, may marry your sister. You, 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 so it would be, so be a case of arayot, right? It would be a case of. So, so you no, you wouldn't have to do chalitza, no, right? If the sister-in-law is an erva from a different perspective, because now it's your wife's sister, not just your sister-in-law, right? Then you're then no yibum, no chalitza. So similarly, if we produce reproduce that at the rabbinic level, brothers and sisters, and it's all rabbinic, we could say, well, we'll we'll treat this all since it's all 
working on the same plane and no yibum and no chalitza. The trick is going to be is if one of those marriages is rabbinic and one is doraita, right? If Cherish is married to a woman rabbinically and now he's got a yibum obligation with a woman that's his doraita so sister-in-law. To, so so that's, thankfully, we're not going to deal with that case. Okay, that's the complicated case. We're establishing the cases that are easy, okay? For Chain, but that's the case that's complicated because then he has a conflict between his current marriage, which is only rabbinic, and his direct obligation of Yibo. Okay, the Chain, stay achayot chereshot, or if both of the women, sisters, are chereshot, it doesn't matter what the men are, it's all going to be rabbinic. to the two brothers who are both of, uh, you know, of a well, not, not deaf mute, or two that are deaf mute, or one of each. Anyway, in all those scenarios, it, it, we're all talking about rabbinic marriages. Everything is rabbinic. So in that case, so since they're all operating on the same plane, it's all rabbinic, so we treat it as a case of yibum with arayot, and they're exempt from yibum and chalitza. Okay. Now, if they were not sisters, if they were unrelated to one another, it doesn't mean non-Jewish women. If they were, if they were, if they were strangers, if they were unrelated to one another, so then uh, you do yibum, okay? Then it doesn't matter. Even if one marriage is derabanan and one is deraita, okay? There's a uh, and then there's a sister-in-law. There's a yibum. You do yibum, and there's not a rayas. Your wife is not related to this other woman, okay? Um, and if now, if they want. Now, again, assuming that everything is rabbinic, if everything is rabbinic and the women are not related to one another, you do yibum. Now, since the yibum was rabbinic, right, because everything was rabbinic, everybody got it? Either both of the, brother, either both of the men or both of the women are harashot. If everything is rabbinic and there's not an arias case here, then you, do, you can do yibum. And after you've done yibum, you could also do gerishin, okay, because it was all rabbinic. So the same way the, the yibum made, made this woman, his wife, through through you know, rabbinically, he can now divorce her rabbinically as well. Okay, everybody got the point of this? Right? The simple point is if everything is rabbinic, then we work as if every, then we act as if it all is working on a derisa plane. So, if there's an Arias case, you do nothing. If there's not an Arias case, they can do Yibum, but they can also then afterwards do a get, because the same way it works rabbinically to create it, it can also be separated rabbinically as well. Yes? Could you just go over why Arias uh, cannot divorce a biblically? Because uh, he's not considered a bardas. He's not considered to be of full mind, full, you know, intellectual capacities. That's the rabbinic assumption. And that means he cannot do any type of transaction that's recognized at a Doraisa level. Uh, yeah, so that's the big issue, right? Because again, the, what that would be, the consequence of that is, you have somebody now who's a deaf mute who can, you know, comp- highly intelligent, can communicate the whole thing, right? And that will say, like, he can't, uh, you know, he can't, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, get an aliyah, he can't be a shliach or he can't count as a min. I mean, I'm, I mention all these things that usually we give only to men anyway, but okay. <laughs> but whatever, you know, all these types of ways in which you wind up like excluding that person, right? So, okay. So, okay. So now, anyway, what do you see from all this? What you see from all of this is that we allow when everybody is when the brother is a cheresh we treat it all as it's all rabbinic. We're not concerned. The case of the brothers of Cheresh will get confused with the Yibum case when the brothers of Pikeach. That was why we brought this in. And is that clear? We allow all of this to work because it's all rabbinic. It's all Cheresh talking about here. So you see, we're not concerned that a brother Cheresh will get confused with a brother who's a Pikeach. So the Gemara says, 
Shin Meikara. It's better, like we said before, that the case that the problem is, oh, that the case that the person, Cherish, is married to a woman, Doraita, and can't divorce her, is when his, it was Yibum and his brother was a Pikeach. Okay, his brother was a Pikeach, it was a Yibum Doraita, he's married to her Doraita, and now he can't divorce her. But if the brother was a Cherish, we would allow him to divorce her, and we're not afraid that they'll get confused. Okay, so where are we up to? What we're up to is, putting aside all this confusing Yibum cases, what we're up to is, is that Rav Kanam or Rav said, if the Cheresh can communicate through writing, he's not a Cheresh, it's a form of speaking. We have a Breita that established that that's not true, that a Cheresh, who is always a Cheresh, everybody would say could not give a get, even if he could write, and at most you have Rav Shem saying that if he was born a non-Cheresh, and now he's a Cheresh, then his writing can, then his writing can, much smaller, then his writing can redefine him. Okay, now, now the Gemara is going to come pull back to that. Wait, let's just finish this. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Although we implicitly said it before, he's saying it explicitly. Don't think that Rabbi Gamliel, who says if he can write and he wasn't born a Cheresh, it's okay, that he's, that that's, uh, that that's assumed by everyone else. That's not true. He actually is, that's his position, but, uh, but the others disagree with him. We talked similarly. If the woman became a shota, he cannot divorce her. Okay, this is the case of, you know, two people married, the woman became ill or whatever, you, you know. They're both pikeya, they're both married, Doraita, then the woman became a shota, she's no longer in her right mind, he's no longer able to divorce her. If he became a cheresh, or he became a shota, he can never divorce her. So here's the case that he married her as a pikeach. He became a cheresh, and it says he can never divorce her. So, well, no, that's a good point, but no. My olamis, what does it mean? Never love avagav Presumably, it means that no matter what, even if he can communicate through writing, it doesn't matter. He's a cheresh, can't divorce her. So you see that the position that rejects Rabjim Gamliel, writing doesn't help, even if he was started life not as a cheresh. Amar Papa, Ilav Dashmin and Reb Yochanan, and if Reb Yochanan not spelled that out for us, but there's a position that disagrees with Reb Yochanan and I would have said Reb Gamliel is just clarifying the Tanakhama, and everybody agrees that if he starts off not as a cheresh, writing works. Umay Olamis, so what does this Mishnah mean when it says he can never divorce her if he became a cheresh? It means, even if we saw that he was clearly very intelligent, he could never divorce her unless he can write. You know why? Because if he can write, he's no longer a cheresh. Meaning as long as he's a cheresh and can't communicate, he can never divorce her, no matter how intelligent he appears. By the way, that's also important, right? That again shows a formalistic approach. It shows that the person can clearly be highly intelligent, but if he's not considered to be able to communicate and he's still a cheresh, he can never divorce her. But I would have said, as soon as he can write, then he's no longer a cheresh, then he could divorce her. So if it wasn't that Rabbi Yochanan pointed out that there's a position that rejects Rabbi Shimon I would have said that this Mishnah is consistent with Rabbi Shimon And what it means is he can never divorce her no matter how intelligent he is as long as he can't speak. But once he can speak, even if speaking is through writing, I might have said that's okay. So comes along Rabbi Yochanan and says, no, 
Tari, that's not okay. According to the other position who argues on Mishim Liel, even writing does not constitute speaking, even if he did not start his life as a Kheresh. Okay? Or maybe the Olamis is coming to tell us the point that Rav Yitzchak says. Biblically speaking, a woman who's a shota, who's not of a right man, can be divorced. Now you remember there was an earlier discussion of whether a, a, a small child could be divorced. In order to be divorced, the woman has to be able to be shomeris es gita, protect her guest. Okay? So... And also understand that she's divorced and not come back. And understand that she's divorced and not come back. So there's a certain... So the Gemara in Yevamos that discusses this basically assumes that a shota is able to be shomeris es gita, is able to... And therefore, the right that she can be divorced. Okay? So... So, um, the same way a woman who's of right mind can be divorced against her will. So, what if a shota doesn't, you know, doesn't under, you know, isn't willing and participating and doesn't have das? A woman is divorced against her das anyway. Okay, but again, presuming that she can watch her get and understand that she's divorced. Okay, so, but she is divorced, even though she's not a bardas. Here you go, Michael. Once again, Michael has written the Gemara already. They did not let her be divorced so that people should not take advantage of her. Okay, which, by the way, is like a big problem in these uh, homes that they have, you know, for uh, kids with, you know, young, you know, whatever, young adults who the parents can't watch them anymore. Or they're actually adults, but, you know, they're not of, of the, you know, they're, 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 they're with sufficient intellectual capacities that, you know, even sometimes the people in those, in those facilities take sexual advantage of the people. So, um, so anyway, so the Gemara says, so that's why it would have said Olamis. To Olamis, not to, just a way of saying that when the man is a Pikeach or a Shota, then it's really Doraisa he can't divorce her. Right? It only said Shota, Olamis by the man. It said if she becomes a Shota, she can't be divorced. If he becomes a Chemish or Shota, he can never divorce her. So I would have said the word never is to emphasize that for him it's Doraisa, and for her, it's Drabanan. She, Doraisa, really could be divorced, but rabbinically she can't. For him, oh, never. Meaning not, not even, you know, even Doraisa, he can't divorce her, okay? So if it was just from that Mishnah that said, when a man becomes a Cheresh, he can never divorce the woman, I would have said that actually he could divorce her if he's able to write. But comes along Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, no, actually, there are those that argue on Rabbi Shungam Leo, and would say that even if he can write, and even if he started not as a Cheresh, he remains a Cheresh, and he cannot divorce her. So, as L'Halach Lamasa, the Gemara ends with two opinions. According to the Gemara, Rav Kahnamarav is totally rejected, at least their fundamental position, that if somebody is born a Cheresh, even if he's intelligent and can write and communicate, remains a Cheresh. And at most, you have the position of Shem Gamliel, that if somebody is born not a Cheresh, becomes a Cheresh, and can communicate through writing, maybe according, we're, we're prepared to redefine him according to Rav Shem Gamliel, but the Chachamim disagree. So this, as I said, becomes like a major challenge, you know, because in the last two centuries, there's been a lot, 250 years or so, I think schools for the deaf were about 250 years ago? I forgot when they saw Anyway, there's been a lot of halachic reassessment of the category of Kheresh. All right, so you have to see those two vote, but yep. let's at least acknowledge that that's the challenge. It's another shear for another time. So, yeah, I have uh, to uh, review uh, the shear. Like, like, what do you do with the uh, minority opinion that's, that's rejected by the students? Well, it's not clear that the Gemara rejects what Kim Lim Leo. It just says Chok in the love Chavera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you do with it? It's like it has no halachic 
I know that's the problem. I mean, that's how halacha works. I mean, you know, if you, I mean, if you have a way of arguing, but there's, no, it doesn't seem like the Gemara is giving any any opening to say, right? That there, I mean, you know, it's, which is like really like, what do you do? It's such a great position that you want to go. A, like I said, it both logically makes an enormous amount of sense. Right. Like, how could it be that somebody is so intelligent and so able to clearly communicate? Just logically, how could it be that that person halachically is seen as not a bardas, uh, right? We have also, I do, we, we have voice activated. Like, you could write something into a computer and it would. Oh, that's, an in, oh, that's interesting. Oh, vocalizer. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Even Hawking, yeah. 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 So maybe now. Not, not Hirish, though. That's the problem. <laughs> I know. Talking about Hawking, talking about the technology. Oh, that's interesting. You know, maybe now even those that were not prepared to go with this redefinition, maybe there's another basis to sort of say that they actually are even speaking. You know, they're creating sound. Right. Now, that's I, an I, interesting I, thought. I, yeah. I assume it is like a Hirish. A Hirish could not be about Sokea. Right. Could not be both anybody in any mitzvah. So no, not a mitzvah doraisa. Doesn't matter, right? Can't, right? can't do anything that that's not, at a doraisa level. Not, right? Exactly. Yeah. Interesting that, that the, this whole thing is brought about by the abstraction of the notion, like the, the act that we're talking about is writing a get. Right. right. That's the real thing. Right. If everybody wrote their own get, yeah. and you know, you, you could you could say we may not even have gotten here. It's only by abstracting it and bringing shlikos that you have to write the shliach. Right. You know, that the became an issue. No, but if a but you have to still be a bardas, right? Yeah. So if you were, if, if somebody were like, you know, were, were cherish and did write their own get, mm-hmm. it still wouldn't be good, right? Yeah, but would we have gotten? Would we have gotten here? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Yeah. Stephen Hawking case is not theoretical because he actually did divorce his wife yeah. after he completely lost the ability to speak. <laughs> I mean, it's not true. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Kevin, we have to figure that out in D. David A. Noah. Yeah. So you you mentioned something interesting about like can't think about getting an aliyah, but uh, I just asked the question: if you can't speak, let's say, yeah. are you allowed to get an aliyah if you can't make a bracha? Like, oh yeah, that's, that's that's another interesting question. So actually, so I won't give a full answer, but I will say there's a mission that says Hamisha lo yitremu, and one of the vim uh, cannot take truma, vim tarmu trumas and truma, and one of them is an elaim. So why can a person who's mute can, now again, you know, bardas? Why can they lechatzchila not take truma? The answer is because they can't make a bracha. So it would be it would but the evidence, of course, it would work, but it's not a lichatchiwa taking because it's not meluvel with the bracha. So, and particularly actually by aliyot, where part of the whole tekes is like the making of the bracha, you know. So yeah, that's a separate issue, which is a good one. Yes. Is there any interconnection with the sin and the shin of shota and sota? Oh no, that's a good question. I don't think I don't know. I'm not an etymologist. Etymologist. Anyway, I'm not. Anyway, that I can answer that question, but I will tell you that Rambam in uh, he has hilchot sota. You know, in the Rambam, one of his uh, one of his uh, halachot in Nashim is Sota. But apparently, um, when originally it was written with a sin, because that's how it's in the Torah, Kiti stage do. So you would look at it; it would look like it would say Hilchos Shota, <laughs> and it would actually be Hilchos Sota. But then, so now in the current Rambams, they write it with a sama. Anyway, okay, let's take a look at the uh, Mishnah. Amrulo Nichtov Get Lehen. So now back to a normal bardas. Okay. And they say to a guy, Stan, hey, should we write a get to your wife? Like, they, they, they suggest it. Maybe you're going to die soon. You're going off on a trip. Would you like us to write a get to your wife? Again, if somebody's dying, he wants to get to be with his wife so she doesn't have to worry about Yibam. So Yibam's always in the background. Okay. The Amr Lehen, so write it. Yibam was so fair. Amr was so fair. So they went and they told the sofer, the katav and the sofer wrote it. Ule'edim v'chasmu. And they told the witnesses and they signed it. Avropisha kasvu v'chasmu v'nasnu hulo. So they wrote it and they signed it and they gave it to him. Him, and he himself 
gave it to the wife because he only said write it he didn't say give it so he himself gave it to the wife it's invalid you know why it's invalid? because he did not directly instruct the sofer and the witnesses Okay, he said to them write it and they told the sofer and the adim and he has to tell them directly so you might remember this the issue about if you tell a shaliach does the sofer have to hear it directly from the husband or not which is what the Gemara says let's take a look at the Gemara but it says the reason it understands that there was a problem here was he only said to these witnesses write it so remember if you remember the earlier Mishnah write might suggest you have to do it yourself Tnu is giving them a little more latitude see that it gets given so the problem is that he said Tnu he didn't say Tnu Hamar Tnu if he had said Tnu so basically that would have given them more latitude in that case maybe they could have uh, they could give it and have somebody else write it so money who would that be going like Rebbe Mayer Rabbi Meir says that under certain cases at least cases of Tnu if it's based in not Tnu if it's only two we'll see about the based in again in the middle but if you have three people and you say Tnu then you've given empowered them you know you've given them the latitude and then they can go ahead and give it to somebody else it's words it's only a verbal appointment there's no get that they're holding but they can pass on that verbal appointment to somebody else that was Rabbi Meir you might remember if you said Tnu to three people he said they can have other people write it okay Let's look at the end of this Mishnah. Um, now, by the way, I want to point to you about Rashi. If you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, uh, right about five lines after the Rashi in the Gemara begins, line starts with the word Afili Rebbe Meir. Rashi says, you see the words Afili Rebbe Meir, the beginning of a line in Rashi, about eight lines before the lines get wide, medium sized in Rashi. Afili Rebbe Meir Mode, Rashi says, Likaman, prepare Katit Kabel. Kisru, etc. It's no good. So Rashi had our sixth parak. We already learned that Mishnah about Rebbe Meir and Rebbe Yossi and the three based in. Rashi had that had the, had the switched order of the seventh and the sixth parak than we do. Okay, so all the later Rashi's here are constantly referring to a sugya we've already done, and Rashi's constantly saying like we're going to do in the next parak. Okay, so that's interesting. In some sectors, there's a question which order the prakim come in. Anyway, back to the Gemara. Okay, Ema Sefa. Let's look at the end of the Mishnah. It sounds like there's no way it can work. New based in nothing works. Unless you sell the sofer directly, you need the direct verbal instruction to the sofer and to the witnesses. <laughs> so the Gemara says, Asim Rebiosi, that's going like Rebiosi. The Amar Mili Lomen that says verbal appointment can never be given over, can never be passed on. Okay? Even Tnu, even based in the, you always need direct, direct sort of instruction from the husband. So Reisha Rebi Meir, Vesefer Rebiosi, the Reisha sounds like, uh, you have some latitude. It's only because you said Kisvu. That's going like Rebbe Mayer. The end sounds like Rebbe Yossi, that there, nothing will ever work except the direct instruction. So the Mayer says, is that possible? And yes. Reisha Rebbe Mayer was safe for Yossi. Yeah, fine. Okay, the beginning gives you some latitude. It's, uh, if you said Snu, maybe it would be good. The safer goes like Rebbe Yossi and you have no latitude. Abayama, no. Kula Rebbe Mayer. It's all Rebbe Mayer. That if you did say Snu and it wasn't based in, you're okay. The Hachim of Mayaskin is the Lomar Snu. Let the Mishnah talk 
talking about is in a context where you did not say tnu, that you're only saying kisvu, then you have to speak directly to the sofer. If you want to say tnu, you have more, le- you can, you can, you don't have to be direct. But if you're going to say kisvu, you have to directly instruct the sofer. Yahachi says, that's true. Then it shouldn't say it's never good until you directly instruct the sofer. The easier thing to be would say, it's not good unless you say tnu. So, as the, um, Fine. Let's say it this way. The Mishnah is talking in a context that there's only two of them. So if there's only two of them, it's never good unless you instruct them directly. Remember, according to Rabbi Mayer, it's only, they can only pass it on if there are three and you said Tznu. So why does the Mishnah sound like you have no options other than instructing them directly? Because we're dealing that you only said to two people. Okay? So the Mishnah says no. Um... Uh, um, he says the Gemara. The Gemara still isn't satisfied. Don't tell me you need to directly instruct them. You should tell me the other options. You can say tnu as long as it's a based in. It, I'm sorry, says the Gemara. It doesn't sound like that. It sounds like you have absolutely no options. So the Gemara says, Elephant. We'll go the other way, which is clearly the easier way to read it. Okay. So now, why does the beginning sound like if you said tnu, it might have been okay? What are we talking about? No, because what the beginning means is, if you said Kisu, it's no good, maybe there is an option that it could work according to Rebiosi. What's the option? That you directly told them to tell someone else. Remember the Gemara discussed that before, whether according to Rebiosi, if you explicitly told them to tell, to, to tell someone else, would that work? Yahi says the Gemara, Still not happy. No, I'm sorry. The end of the mission sounds like no options. And so, according to you, it should have said, you have an option to tell them to tell someone else. The ode, me, motor, Rabbi Yossi, since when does Rabbi Yossi agree to that? That's none. And now we get to the old Ksav Sofer and Ksav Sofer. Let's just try to read this. Ksav Sofer v'Eid Kasher. If you had the handwriting of the Sofer and one witness, it's good. No, it means the Sofer's signature. Now, why is the Sofer's signature good? Because we should be afraid, as you'll see, that the husband didn't say that and they got the, that the, the Sofer to sign because they were embarrassed. Our mission is Rabbi Yossi that says that the words aren't given over. So we're not afraid that the sofer signed because the, the messengers were embarrassed and had him sign even though he had not been appointed. You know why we don't have to be afraid of that? Because it's Rebiosi that you have to hear directly from the husband. Okay, so that's why it's okay that the sofer signed and we don't have to be afraid that he wasn't really appointed by the husband to do so. But the Gemara says, But if Rebiosi would allow for a case of not directly hearing from the husband, of telling witnesses to tell the sofer, so nothing mean a The destruction will come out. This case is still a problem. The husband will tell people, tell the sofer to write, and tell Ruvain and Shimon to sign, and it's like you don't have to directly instruct them because it's Omer Imru. The Mishum Kisuva the sofer, because they'll be embarrassed of their concern for the embarrassment of the sofer. 
They'll have the sofa be one of the signatures. And the husband didn't say this. So I went through that quickly because we had done it before. Yeah. But the basic point is, is that Rebiosi agree says Omer Imru is no good. You know how I know Rebiosi says Omer Imru is no good? At least according to Rebiermiya, Chsam Sofer works. And the only reason the signature of the Sofer works, and we're not afraid that, he, that, that the messengers uh, told him to do it because they were afraid that he would, might be embarrassed and that the husband had not said it, is because we're going like Rebiosi. And according to Rebiosi, everybody has to hear straight from the husband. Which shows that for Rebiosi, there's no Omer Imru. There's no way you can do it without hearing heard straight from the husband. Okay, so we're back to our problem, which is the beginning sounds like it's only because of Kisfu. Sounds like there are some options that it might work. And the end sounds like Rebiosi, that there are no options. That you, you have to hear straight from the husband, there are no alternatives. So we will leave this for tomorrow and find out how the more resolves the Reisha and the Seifa. Okay.